Okay, I am super, super excited to be here with Michael Matry. Um, I heard about his podcast. I've heard about so many great things that he's done. And I've also been there to witness a lot of those things. So I am so grateful and really honored to be able to come and interview him. Um, <laughs> it's one of the things that I've actually looked forward to doing. Um, and I was lucky a few years ago to be able to do it. And now we both have continued to grow. <laughs> and so I'm excited to do some more. Um, my name is Ebony. Um, I'm a results focused leader um, right now in the technology sector. Um, but yeah, it, Mike, can you give us just a little spiel? I know you have you have a lot of titles that you hold. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, first and foremost, thank you. I mean, I, I, I'm flipping the script on purpose because, you know, it's so hard to talk about yourself. And so I was thinking about this episode and I was thinking about like, just telling a little bit of myself, I'm trying to be a little bit more personable with it and to really open up and make this thing a heartfelt thing where people can feel free to express and expand and not to feel like they don't have a safe space to just really like pour themselves out. And I thought, what better way to do that than to pour myself out? But sometimes you can't pour yourself out. Sometimes you need somebody to hold the handle. So when I was thinking about who can hold this handle, who can possibly hold this handle to pour me out? Uh, you're the first person that came to mind. You know, you started with me, um, started off as my assistant, then kind of climbed up the ranks and became like assistant director. I forget what kind of title you held at the end, but um, you just grew with me. You see me at my beginning and now you're seeing what I'm manifesting right now. And so you've also seen, you know, personal tragedy, you know, personal trauma, personal things going on, you know, me suffering with loss and, and things of that nature. So. Um, you've kind of been there for like the whole story and I couldn't think of a better handle than somebody who started off with me and uh, our relationship has grown so close throughout the years. You know, I really look at our relationship as like, I look at you as my daughter <laughs> and uh, I feel like you're my daughter. And I, when I think about my own daughter, I imagine her growing up to be you. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty wild when I look at you. It's just like, I really feel like I'm looking at my daughter and that's the kind of closeness, the bond that we share. So I'm really excited about being able to express to you somebody I feel safe with, somebody that um, I really feel like understands me spiritually as well. And I think that's vitally important for this podcast. I want it to be a spiritual place of healing for people and um, whatever they want to talk about, we're always going to put a spiritual spin on it because um, we're spiritual beings living a human existence and not the other way around. So without further ado, I'm going to shut up now <laughs> and I'm going to pass it back over to you. <laughs> awesome. And you always do a good, great job at explaining <laughs> explaining exactly how I feel. So <laughs> I, I really, you know, I just want to say before we jump into it, like I appreciate everything that you've been and that you've been able to do for me for the community, um, um, for your family, you know, yeah. um, you, you've been a really strong, uh, male presence for me in my life. And I'm so grateful that I've been able to see that, um, the topics that we're going to discuss today are really deep. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, I seen this topic and, you know, it's threefold release, regret and renew. Mm -hmm. And I was just like thinking like, oh my gosh, how many different things come up? how many things start to come up for me. And for me, for your experiences, I know that there's a lot that you can pull on with each of these experiences and just share with us. And so I think that's what people really want to hear from you. And I think 
that people want to understand like those key takeaways what can they actually put you know and implement in their lives to to help them to you know release some of the heavy big rocks that you have you know over the past few years um so let's go ahead and jump into it so the first question that i have um is just what did you have to release you know what thoughts did you have to release what situationships did you have to release <laughs> um what patterns did you have to release oh this is a loaded one <laughs> who <laughs> it's weird being on this side of the table. <laughs> the hot seat. <laughs> well, what did I have to release? Well, I, I had to release a lot. I had to release a lot and I didn't understand the magnitude of what I needed to release and what did I needed to let go of um until, you know, things started to get really real in my life. When things started to get really painful, when things started to get really cloudy, Um I'm sure we can all relate to a time where you know we feel like we were just digging in the dark <laughs> digging in the dark digging in the dark and every time we try to reach every time we try to climb every time we try to reach for something higher we just ended up slipping and falling again and and we can all relate to that feeling of falling and I feel like that's where I was you know and um a big part of that had to do with you know my relationships starting to deteriorate around me mainly because mainly because I was a shell of who I really was. I was buried underneath all of these layers of personalities. I was buried with so much. <laughs> and it wasn't until I finally got to this place of you know what? You need to find out who you really are. You need to find out who you really are underneath all of these veils, underneath all of these costumes, underneath all of these makeups and lights and whatever it was I was doing at the time, you know, hotels and conferences and <laughs> shows on top of shows and performing and was he a poet or was he a rapper or was he a speaker or what was he <laughs> it was a lot and Mike and Mike tell people what did good look like for you at that period of time before you had to like really start making you know transitions um what did good look like you know you have been two-time author you yeah. know Yeah. You were activists. You were doing things in the community that other people, other black men weren't doing in the community. Yeah. I know? I would be remiss if I didn't share those things. Yeah, like I said, it's always hard to talk about yourself, but I mean, we had a crew of men close to between extensions of people or whatever, you know, close to 50 to 60 to 70 people working for us coast to coast. and we were pulling off conferences coast to coast we were doing a lot of amazing things you know uh shout out to the blackheart my creative director at the time she's a beautiful being i miss her i love her but uh we were doing some amazing things you know coast to coast and and i and i don't regret any of it you know i don't regret any of it i feel like you know sometimes we want to like dig in the dark or start off with the darkness um but really you know there was a lot going on at the time and we were doing a lot of amazing things for a lot of amazing people um and i think with the purpose health movement um which is what i call it the purpose health movement we really was about reaching mass reach we were trying to go to haiti <laughs> we were trying to go all over the place it was just like the world is our playground which is amazing we just young and zealous and just ready to take on everything and we were pulling it off i mean we pulled off an amazing conference in LA, Pepperdine University, then we pulled off conferences at the Hilton in Boston, and we were flying people in and out. It was it was it was it was bananas, you know, it was bananas. 
And to think that we pulled it off with an all African-American, um, Caribbean-American staff, you know, it, it's mind-blowing, you know, um, the things that we were able to do and accomplish together. So shout out to that time, man. Shout out to that time. But I think, you know, the turmoil of when it reached a boiling point, when it reached a point where um, darkness had overtaken everything that we had brought to light, you know, when it reached to the point where we could not see no longer through like a focused lens, but we were starting to see through a, a lens of ego, uh, a, lens, a lens of personalities, a lens of things that were less than our highest version of ourselves, which is what we always strive to be. When we get to that point and we reach that breaking point and we start to split up as a group, we start to not be cohesive, we, not, we start to not be together then it comes a time for us to start to ask ourselves some questions and some very important ones. Why are we? Who are we? Why are we here? <laughs> what are we doing? What are we doing? You know, and so when we started to ask those questions, that's when the spirit revealed to me, it was time to release. It was time to release. And there was going to be a rough road ahead. There was going to be some regret there, or at least my perception of regret. Regret. Um, but the spirit told me that it definitely was time to release. And and what did you hear? What did you hear when the spirit tapped on your shoulder and said, the time is now, you know? This was your baby. Purpose Health was your baby, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you had built it up from scratch with and, and brought along a team, you yeah. know, to actually help you with the mission. Yeah. What did you what did you hear? What was that messaging like before you decided, okay, these are the actions that I now need to take? Yeah. So that Go ahead and release this properly. Right. Well, one of the things that major things that I was always taught um, by my spiritual teacher and on my spiritual teachings is that personal responsibility, personal accountability for everything, for everything in your life, um, because you're responsible for for it all. Um, and, and although you may not feel like you're responsible for your pain, you are absolutely 100% responsible for your healing. <laughs> so that is your responsibility. It doesn't matter who hurt you. Um, your responsibility is to heal. My responsibility was to, um, to make a conscious decision of where the direction the company was going and what was going on at the time. Um, confidence in me was shattered confidence of me uh, of me as a leader at the time it was shattered um, and rightfully so and so when you lose the trust of your people you lose your empire <laughs> so I lost my empire you know but I, I understood that the loss wasn't truly a loss the loss was more of a transitioning of that time you know and sometimes it it takes certain things to happen in order for you to come to an awakening for yourself um, these lessons that we have to learn in life, unfortunately, we can't take it on a test. It's not on paper. We have to actually take it by actually falling sometimes and making mistakes and having bumps in the road. But I think ultimately, 100% responsibility for everything that went wrong under your watch. <laughs> um, that's what I take. Okay. And and on that note too, then what is, what is release to you? So what does release mean to you? I think release means that you are allowing yourself or giving yourself permission to let go of a thought. Um, you know, there's, there's some thoughts that come with that, a package of thoughts, so to speak. You know, the what ifs or, or you know, 
and, and the self-blame and the self-deprecating thoughts, you know, all those things that want to drag you down and have no relevance. If this is over and this is what happened, this is what happened. And being able to look at that matter of factly and no longer allowing that to be a story for your life, no longer allowing that to be what you lead with, um, no longer allowing that to be what you use to define you, but you're, now you're giving yourself permission to let it go. Now you're giving yourself permission to just say, you know what, this no longer is attached to my name. My name is clear. My name is clean. My name is pure because I believe in something that's higher that has the permission and has the rights to wipe me clean. So when I wipe that clean, when I wipe that clean, I no longer have an association to my pain. I no longer have an association to the story. I no longer have an association to those mistakes, to that pain. I can let it go and I can move forward and I can be a new man and I can strive to be the best version of myself. That's huge. Yeah, that's huge and really powerful. I think that people will be able to take nuggets from that, you know, yeah. Yeah. Really help themselves to get through. Release is tough. Release is not easy, you know? Yeah. Sometimes you get scorned in the process trying to just release the things that have been built, you know? Yeah. A lot of us have stuff that's been built for a long time. It's, you know, it took a while for it to get here, yeah, you know? absolutely. And so um, with that question, I want to ask, um, so what is regret then to you? When we go into the next R, so we right. have peace. What is regret? Yeah. Well, I think regret is whenever you feel like um, that your past somehow has a bearing on how you feel today. When you allow your past to dictate the feelings and the emotions that you feel in the now, in your memory of the past. So the regret is the memory of the past and how it affects you today. <laughs> and most of the time, it's in a negative way because if we're not living for the present moment, then that means we're living in some kind of regret. If we're fixated in the past and we're fixated on past experiences, if we're fixated on that, then that means we're living in some level of regret, whether it's small, minute, or a huge, and it is a very huge problem. Either way you look at it, if you're looking into the past, you're opening yourself up to depression because depression comes from living in the past and anxiety comes from living in the future. But if you're looking in the past and you're not in the present, it just means that you're you're looking at it with some level of regret. And, and some parts of you deep down inside feels that your best days are behind you. Some parts of you deep down inside feels like in the present moment, you can't move forward and you're not allowed to have a good life because your, 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 your worst days where somehow your best days, you see what it does is it, it alters your memory. And this is scientifically proven. It's about 90% untrue of the things we remember about our past. We make up a lot of stories in our head. And what happens is when we make up this story and we believe it and those stories affect our feelings, that's when we have regret. That's what regret is. But you see like the story is not even real and it might have some traces of glimpses of truth to it or facts to it, I should say, but it's not the truth. That is not your truth. Things may have facts, but they're not equal to your truth. So, so when you end up looking at that and you see that and you fixate on that, that is what causes you to be sick. And so it's a human reaction, a human flinch when you release something to automatically go to a place of regret. 
you automatically go to that place. You automatically want to regret something as soon as you release it. So that's why it's released first, then regret, because that naturally comes after. You naturally want to feel like there's a loss there, but nothing is ever lost. If you've experienced it, then nothing is ever lost. You've used it. Mm-hmm. You've occupied it. You've shared space with it. So how could it be lost? So nothing is ever lost. <laughs> And so what ends up happening is, is that when you understand that nothing is ever lost and every experience was meant to be experienced, life is worth living. You have to live it. The ups, the downs, the upside downs, the twirls, it's worth living. So when you get to that point and you realize life is worth living and you accept it for what it is, then you can let go of that regret a little bit. But we have to be mindful of the regret. We can't pretend like it's not there. So when you release, there will be some regret. But how quickly you get over that regret is going to determine your health. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. what I'm finding. The quicker I get over that regret is the quicker I find myself more and more healthy and, and filled with vigor, ready to do God's work. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, and, I, I, and you know, we're trying to be real in this conversation too. Um, <laughs> in hindsight, what, what things can you point out that, you know, you regretted at the time that you've been able to now start working on that next stage? But yeah. what were those things? What did those things look like? Yeah. I regretted every time, every time I didn't root whatever it was I was doing in the spirit of the living God. I regret the times where I allowed my ego to take over and allowed me to feel and think that it was me that was doing it. And when I, in reality, what got me there the whole time was fixating myself on God, you know. And so if there's any regret that I ever have as a man whatsoever, in any of my social dealings will only be that I regret not honoring God with my life. And anytime I do that, I fall into a place of regret. But that regret immediately has to be taken over with a sense of renewal. And that's what the next is. Mm-hmm. Mm, helpful. That's, that's, that's deep. Okay. Yeah. Let's go into renewal. Let's go into renewal. Um, definitely want to talk about how you see somebody going through the renewal process um, and what that process looked like for you um, through the experiences that you've undergone. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, this is the, the, the logo that I can't let go of. Uh, my business partner, Tammy Marks, we've been trying to work on a new logo, um, but I'm so attached to the Phoenix and I know it's an attachment there. I got to release. <laughs> But the reason why I'm so attached to the Phoenix is because, you know, the Phoenix, the story of the Phoenix is that it is, it got burned in the ashes and then it resurrected and risen again. And it's, you know, synonymous with the sun and all of that stuff. But the thing that I really love about the story of the Phoenix is that it burned itself <laughs> on the altar. And I always thought that it got burnt in some kind of a fire or something like that. But the Phoenix actually burned itself and risen from the ashes. And what I realized with that is... Um, the first thing and the first step is just recognizing that you have a hundred percent responsibility for everything that's ever happened to you. You did it. You did it. You did it. And if you feel like you didn't do it, or if you feel like you didn't have control over what happened, then definitely, definitely, most definitely you are responsible for your healing. So when you're not the one who did it, you're a hundred percent responsible for your healing. And with that acknowledgement, with that knowing, then you can start to understand the renewal process because you can't really renew until you take responsibility of both your pain and your healing. 
100% responsibility. So when you have to hold yourself accountable to go to the gym and feel better and lift weights and get in better health or whatever it is, when you have to hold yourself accountable to have your quiet time with God, to be able to meditate and pray and have that silence moment where you just check in with your thoughts. If you have to be responsible to put a life together for yourself where you have self-care and you're reaching the highest level of yourself so that you can fulfill your purpose to the highest degree of pedigree, Right? Because anything else will be a sin against God because you're not being able to fulfill your purpose with all your might. Mm -hmm. So now we get to a place where if you're not responsible for those things, if you can't see yourself responsible for the full picture, then you're not doing anything then. You're just saying things with words, but until you hold yourself accountable for the full picture of your life, you're not going to be able to renew. And the renewal process is rooted in responsibility, personal responsibility, response, ability, your ability to respond of what life sends your way. Mm. And to me, that is where I was able to find a sense of renewal and a sense of will that allows me to just be free to be explosive. You know, it's one thing to go through life, but it's another thing to go through explosively, you know, that that people will know that you're here, that you're going to leave your mark and you're going to explode on every possibility that you can put your hands on. <laughs> That's how you live life explosively. And I, and I really feel like a renewal process has to be dramatic. Whatever it is for you, it has to be dramatic. It has to be something that... Is nothing that you've ever seen before. You got to be willing to go on the other side of your fear. Mm -hmm. and, and what were those? So you mentioned a few. Meditation was one for you. Exercise was another for you. Absolutely. Can you share some of those tools? Because I know people are probably curious about like, what can I start putting into my toolbox? What might help me yeah. get myself in a space where I'm not feeling so much depression or not yeah. feeling so much anxiety? How do yeah. I get myself through, the, through that renewal process. Yeah, I mean, what helped me? <laughs> Man, what helped me was, I'm going to shot people out. Can we do this? Yeah, let's do it. We're <laughs> <laughs> doing this. Okay, what helped me was uh, getting myself in the best workout regimen that money can buy at mm -hmm. Trainer Trev. At Trainer Trev, I'll put it up on the screen. Um, man, personal trainer is invaluable. You know what I'm saying? Um, you just want an expert in whatever it is that you're trying to do. And if you can find a personal trainer, there's personal trainers out there. Support your local personal trainer, which he probably or she probably will not charge you a whole lot. And if you can consistently give them some bread, you're going to help them out. You know what I'm saying? And, and you, they can build a business on that. You can build a conglomerate on that. You know, so that's really huge. And, and it's the community investing in the community. So at Trainer Trev, man, he's dope. No, he's dope. And that's one thing that you've oh, been consistent about when it comes to supporting local and really independent people. Absolutely. Like, really on that train, making sure people are taken care of. So that's, that's really huge. Yeah, and that's always been something that I really believed in is just supporting people. I mean, if there's anything that I would love for people to remember me by, it's just that I've always supported the local artists. I mean, I bump... Jason Ferg, <laughs> I bump Just Live, I bump like all the LA artists because I mean that's that's what I that's my tribe, you know, and that's what I love to listen to. So I mean shout out to Atrina Trev for the physical, shout out to um One Happy Life for the spiritual. 
unhappy life. Uh, my spiritual teacher, Alan Dagba, Daniel Dagba, you know, uh, just for the spiritual healing, soul treatments, all kinds of stuff, man. The programs just keep going and going and going, but they have a toolbox of spiritual tools to assist Alan, people in life. And Alan's been doing this work for how many, do you know how many years he's been doing decades, it? Decades, decades, decades. He's been doing it for decades. I mean, started off in <laughs> everywhere in Nebraska. I mean, Anybody get to meet <laughs> amazing, brother. amazing brother, amazing. Um, so, um, one happy life. I mean, get your spiritual life in order. Um, definitely, definitely. Um, and then, you know, recreation, getting yourself a tribe, getting yourself a group of people that, you know, really have your back, you know, no matter what. You know, getting yourself a band of brothers that you're like-minded in thought. You know what I mean? You're like-minded in, you know, principle. You're like-minded in branding, you know, Adderay Styles, um, Lena's Beauty, you know, <laughs> Ebony Kizzy, you know, all these people, like, you know, so many people that you have, like, in your corner, uh, you know, the LA model, Majani, you know, we just have so many people that expand on their gifts and, and really bring light to the world. And when you involve yourself with a community, um, something beautiful can happen. You know, you can really heal yourself because what ends up happening is you begin to like feed into each other and invest in each other and pour into each other. And then the healing process really happens. So it's really an amazing thing to surround yourself with people who genuinely love you and who are trying to go the places that you're trying to go. You know, and that's one of the major things that pull people down is just they have to reevaluate who's around them, even if they love them. Mm -hmm. Even yeah. if they love them. That's a big one. Yeah. Even yeah, if you love them. It's not necessarily those are the people who are supposed to be in your life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I think one thing that a lot of people tend to do, especially when they come through this space. So say you release something. and Yeah. You're still in that regret space. Right. Like, mm -hmm. I think some people try to retreat on their own, you know, without doing the step that you mentioned, like trying to tap into your community and, and, what do you have to say or what would you say to someone who has decided to just be with themselves and not actually get that village or not get that support or not, you know, have those resources and tools in their space? Like, why is it so critical that they have those resources or have some resources to depend on um, as they, you know, are challenged with life's, life, life stuff, you know, um, and the struggles that come along? There's a difference between being quiet and being still there's a difference between closing your eyes and meditating there's a difference between putting your hands together and praying there's a difference you know as human beings we go through motions you know we go through motions and where you know we've created this program for ourselves this autopilot that we've created that we just kind of go through these motions and you're going through motions only reason why I know is because I was going through those motions. <laughs> you're going through motions and you're going and you're, you're doing all the right things, but your heart and your mind and your spirit is not there. Mm -hmm. And so what happens when you go through the motions and you think you're doing all the right things and you feel like life keeps happening to you, you have to ask yourself the question, where's your spirit? Where's your spirit? Has your spirit been broken? <laughs> Has your spirit been broken down? Have you have you got to a place where you're not really seeing yourself as the best light and version of yourself? 
And anything you do from that space is going to be poisoned. Anything that you do from that space is not going to bear fruit because you're not going to your divine mind first. And see, that's the problem. And sometimes we get so deep that we need sometimes other people to you know, point us back in the right direction or maybe we just need a reminder. Or maybe God will just send us reminders. When God sends us reminders, he sends us reminders through people, through events, through happenings. So you have to live the life in order to be able to experience the life. So what happens is, is God sends these reminders to you and then you start to wake up. But you have to use the tools so that you can find yourself inside. It's not a matter of these things are going to give you deliverance, but these things are going to help you to get the wherewithal to go back into yourself and to find your chair and to sit in your chair and finally have peace and rest. Mm, that's so deep. I hope everybody caught all that. <laughs> that, was, that was really, really good. Um, really, really helpful. Even for me, I, I think I had like three aha moments right now. Um, based off of what you said. Um, okay, I will ask this question. So then how do we tie all these topics together? How do we tie the release, the regret, and the renew together? How yeah. do they happen? You know, I, I just have to just... <laughs> Praise God, man. God is so good. I, I just... I have become... <laughs> The very Jesus freak people. I'm just like, I used to like, I couldn't stand it. I become that. I'm like, praise God. Hallelujah. Jesus is Lord. All day, every day. I'm just super in touch with my spirit, super in touch with my elevated sense of self right now. And I just say, thank God. Thank God for that. But most of all, you know, when we talk about releasing, what we're really talking about is we're just saying that it's, it's sometimes you come to a point where you just realize that something needs to be done. And then there comes that one day where you just say, today's the day. And when you say today's the day, that's when you say, all right, I got to let it go. And then after, sometimes after you, you say you got to let it go, then you get that feeling, <laughs> that feeling in your stomach, that feeling in your gut that says, oh, maybe I should have done that. Or, oh, maybe I should do things this way. Or, Oh, but this and that and oh, now I'm going to go through so so much pain and it's going to be painful. And, oh, this is so painful. And you go through that regret feeling. But just know that that cycle of releasing and regretting, releasing and regretting, releasing and regretting, that's a cycle that's going to happen for the rest of your life. Mm. <laughs> it's a cleansing process. And so every so often we're going to have to release and we might regret a little bit, but we have to understand that this is a part of life. And if we can understand that it's a part of life or we can understand that it's a part of our path, then eventually we get to a place where we just use it as fuel for our renewal. Because if we're releasing, then that means it's creating space for something new. And anytime that there's a loss, it always is replaced by something new. When you have funerals, you always get babies that are being birthed around the corner. You see that whenever you lose something, it's always making space for something new. And so sometimes the way of the old needs to be put away and that we need to live in this present moment and so that we need to go to a place of renewal so if we can understand the steps if we can understand that it's first release then you're going to feel something in your belly a little bit and then after you feel something in your belly get ready because the new is coming so when you release you're going to go through the trial you're going to go through the tribulation you're going to go through the storm but after the storm know that there's a blessing there's a ray of sunshine there's something on the other corner that is renewed fresh hand-picked for you 
And if you can understand it in that order, then you can understand the process and then life becomes a little bit more digestible. When something happens, you know that, hey, if I could just weather the storm, then there's something on the other side. And if I can get to the other side, then I can get to a place of peace. Mm. So you're saying do it even if you have fear in your heart. Do it even if your teeth are chattering. <laughs> do it even if your knees are knocking together. Just Amen. Go ahead and release it. Let it go. Let it go. Detach. Detach. Mm. Absolutely. Perfect. <laughs> That's perfect. It's amazing. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Life Scheme. I am your host, Michael Matry, and I am beside myself right now. I have the pleasure and the honor of interviewing a man that is so near and dear to my heart. Um, somebody that I've looked up to for as long as I could remember. As soon as I was born, he was there. Uh, my brother. <laughs> uh, I'm able to actually interview him tonight. And you guys get a dose of everything that I've been able to experience from this incredibly, incredibly, incredibly complex, intricate, yet very intelligent man. Um, and so I'm super excited. The title of today is Adversity, Addiction, and Awakening. And we just opened it up by talking about the man. Uh, I sincerely know him as Jassy. <laughs> uh, but to the world, he's Yves Dufour. He's an entrepreneur. Uh, he has been in many, many, many different life situations in terms of careers, in terms of happenings and dealings. Uh, he has an entrepreneurship spirit, so there's no limit to where he can go and what he's doing. And I'll let him talk about himself and about what he's getting into and what he's doing. But in the context of this interview, I think it just is very important that we point out that this is going to get really real. This is something that we've been wanting to do for a long time and just blow the cap off of a life that is filled with turmoil, um, but at the same time filled with a lot of beauty as well. And I've learned a lot from this man, and I can personally say um, that his road has not been easy. And, and, you know, life is never easy, but we have those amongst us that have gone through an especially exceptionally difficult road. And we want to talk a little bit about that. And we just start off with Jassy. <laughs> Eves, how are you, man? Talk to me. Tell the people who you are and, and and how you made it to this point, to the point where you're on this interview with me here today. What's going on, brother? I'm very happy to be on the show. 
Very happy to be on the show. I love Life Scheme. I love you. Mm-hmm. And I've been anticipating this for so long. You know, we've been talking about it. And so the timing was right. You know, I'm very happy to be on here and to, to chat with you. Yeah, so, so we, we, we've been talking about this off and on for a while. But what would you say in the most recent history was the turning point for you that said, you know what? I need to get on an interview with my brother. I need to tell the world my story. What inspired you to just get to a place where you wanted to tell the world your story? Honestly, I wanted to get on for myself. I wanted to get on for myself because, you know, as of recent, I've had a lot of big changes happen in my life for me. And, you know, I just wanted to, I wanted to get on and put some stuff out there. Um, you know, as we as we get into it, you know, some of some of the challenges that I've had, I just wanted to put them out there. And I've never historically have been the type to kind of put my business out there. I'm a very private person, you know what I'm saying? But I say, you know, I'm, I want to put some things out there. Uh, and if somebody's able to benefit from it, that's that's even better. But more so, you know, I'm going to benefit from it from taking some things that's been in the dark and putting it out there. You know what I mean? Mm. So That's powerful. Yeah. That's, that's very powerful, man. We can jump right into it, man. Yeah. So the first leg in all of this is adversity. Yeah. And personally knowing you, personally having communed with you and knowing your walk, I can honestly say that I, I have an idea of when some of the adversity started in your life, but let's hear it in your words. When you say, when you hear the word adversity, what comes to mind as your first experience? You can go as far back as you possibly can. What comes to mind as your first encounter with adversity? <clears throat> I started my life with adversity. I was born 1980 in Boston, Mass. My father was an immigrant from Haiti. And my mother was an immigrant from Hungary. My father came to Boston in 1978. My mother had come into the States around that time too. Uh, My mother was young. My mother was real young. Uh, my dad was much older than her. And they, they, they met in about 78, 79, around, the, around there. And they married shortly after they met. And my mother got pregnant with me. And, uh, you know, I was born in 1980. And uh, a couple years later, she left. You know, she left. And I didn't have much memory of her. So growing up, you know, I only knew my dad. And we lived in a tiny little studio in Dorchester, Mass. And it was rough at that time. You know what I mean? 
Boston was a very tough city. It's still a tough city, but the 80s, Boston was really a tough city, especially where I lived at. And I lived in a tenement building. So every type of stereotype you hear about tenements, I mean, that's what I grew up with. We were very poor. You know, my dad didn't make a lot of money. A lot of times he had to work two jobs. So we grew up hard, man. We grew up hard. But he was all that I knew. He was all that I knew. And I have two older sisters that over the course of, you know, my, my young years, toddler years, four years old, five, you know, they, they one by one came into the States as well. And at one point, it was all of us packed in a little studio apartment, me, my dad, my uncle, and two older sisters. And I didn't even know who these people were when they first came, you know what I'm saying? Mm. My father had to tell me, oh, this is your sister, this is your uncle. But I never had no knowledge of a mother. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know that kids had mothers. I just knew I had a, my father. He's all I knew. You know, it wasn't until, like, you know, I'm going to school and being around other kids my age and stuff, and, you know, I start to learn this idea of a mother. You know, and I remember the first time I asked my dad, like, yo, where's my mother? You know what I'm saying? And he's just like, you know, don't, you don't need to ask this question. You know, don't worry. Don't worry. Think about her or ask about her. Just you have me and that's all you need. Mm. You know? So this idea left me. You know what I'm saying? It, it left me. And growing up was tough, man. It, it was tough. My, my dad was, he was a real tough guy. He was, he was a very hard man big disciplinarian, just a, a, a tough person. And I'm sure that what he came from was probably even harder than what I had coming from a poor country. And, and uh, he, he had his issues. He had his issues. But a lot of those issues, they, they spilled over to me. So me being small, you know, I was naturally a, 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 a happy kid, like most kids, you know, but over time that, that started to, to wither away because a lot of his stuff spilled on me and it became, there was a lot of abuse, man. You know what I'm saying? There was a, but for me, I don't, look at that I just look at it this is normal you know this is normal to you know always be catching these whoopings and mm. life is being hard and sometimes there's no food to eat sometimes we don't have no heat sometimes we don't have no lights there's rats in the crib and so when you were going through this and, and, and you're seeing this stuff you're in your whole time in your mind you're thinking this is normal. This is the way life is for this everybody. Is no, this is normal for me. This is normal for me. You know, this is normal for me. But when I'm going to stay with other family or friends of his and stuff like that, I see that things are different with them. You know what I mean? But never, I never looked at it as 
this is adversity or this is hard for me. This was normal for me. You understand what I'm saying? So the adversity that you faced, it just felt like at this point, you didn't know any different because since the time you were born, this is the kind of way that life was for you. This is what your norm was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow. And 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 there there were times, you know, when things were okay, things were good. There were there were times where that was the case. You know, but over time growing up, it's just like there was just one constant and that constant was the hardships now that's in your childhood and when you're going through things in your childhood definitely it's hard to process as a child because at that point you don't know any different it's what you're born in you you have somewhat some good times but for the most part like you're struggling and you don't understand why the struggle is there talk to me a little bit about your teenage years um you know, leading all the way up into high school. Talk to me about high school and about some of the adversities you faced um, in high school. I think going into my, uh, my preteens and my teenage years, I think that's when a lot of the things from my youngest years started to kind of regurgitate and manifest themselves in my life and in, in destructive ways, because first of all, with school, I never liked school. I hated school. I, I really hated school because from elementary school, um, it started with going to school in Boston. I went to the, the Holland School. That was a nightmare for me, you know what I'm saying? It was all kind of grades, a lot of bigger kids, older kids, and it, it, I can't remember the school that the movie, uh, remember the movie Lean On Me? The school was like that school, <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? It was just a real grimy East Side you know, High. <laughs> East Side High. It was real, real grimy, and you know, I used to get picked on in that school. You know, I used to get picked on in that school, and then, you know, when we finally moved to Brockton in 1990, 91, that time, and you know, transferred schools and started going to the elementary schools out there. I mean, I got picked on in in that school. You know, so from from going to being a school in Boston, and then going into elementary school in Brockton, you know, both, you know, I'm getting picked on and pushed around and stuff like that. You know, Cause again, we didn't have money. So I'm going to school a lot of times. I'm wearing the same clothes every day. You know, I got maybe two outfits for the week, two, three outfits. I'm trying to switch through them and change it up. You know, I'm on the lunch ticket program. I'm getting picked on for that. I was undersized as a kid, real skinny. I'm getting picked on for that. You know, I'm going to school without a haircut, a big afro. I'm getting picked on for that. So bullying has been something that's been real highlighted these days. It's something that's really become prominent. People are, every, everybody's against it. But we was dealing with that from youth. 80s, 90s, it was a thing. So I hated school, man. You know what I'm saying? I hated school. And hmm. I didn't have confidence being in school. Junior high school, freshman year in high school, I didn't have confidence really, but I didn't have any reason to be confident. Up until that point, I don't have anything that I've experienced that should make me feel confident about myself. Mm. Mm. And all the while, you know what I'm saying? All the while I'm building up so much anger. 
I'm building up a lot of anger, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm not happy with how my life is. I'm not happy with myself. I'm not happy with myself. I'm like, damn, I get, I got issues at the house. You know, I'm getting, you get pushed around in school. Nobody likes me. I'm sitting in, I'm sitting at lunch tables by myself. I'm seeing other kids popular, kids with new clothes, fresh sneakers. All this stuff is building up rage inside of me. You know, it's building up rage inside of me. And then I would say like my sophomore year, going into my junior year in high school, that's when I had a pivot and things became different. Confidence came. Confidence came, but it didn't come about the right way. Mm. You know, confidence came, but it didn't come about the right way. So at this point, I'm 16, 17 years old, whatever. Now I start getting into the streets. Cause now I'm, in, I'm in, you know, I'm living in Brockton, on the east side of Brockton. I start getting in the streets. So I start to befriend some people from school at that time. And then very slowly, I start to make this transition into the streets. Mm. Hanging out, being on the north side of Brockton, the south side of Brockton. How did the adversity you faced in your childhood translate into who you became on the street. And we know that you had this adversity, these things you were facing as a child and they were traumatic for you. And then you got picked on when you were in the younger, earlier grades. And then sophomore, junior year, you had this switch where all of a sudden you became confident in your own words and maybe not in the best way, but then you got introduced to the streets and then you had your own, from my understanding, you had your own persona in the streets. and. From what I remember as a kid growing up and knowing you, <laughs> you were respected. You were respected in our neighborhood as being one tough kid. You know what I'm saying? You were respected in our neighborhood. You were respected around Brockton. People knew who you were. And you began to have this reputation of this confident, respected, tough guy. So when you made that transition and you made that switch, I, I, it, it obviously was convincing not only to you, but to everybody around you. But how did the adversity that you went through as a kid translate into the street life and what you dealt with as that new persona that you were upholding? I think what happened was, you know, by that time when I start getting involved in the street, I already been drinking by that time. You know, I probably took my, probably had my first drink when I was maybe 10, 11, somewhere around there. Maybe even younger than that. You can't pinpoint it, but I was already been drinking. You know what I mean? Now alcohol started to become something a part of my life and it, it numbed a certain part of me. You know what I'm saying? It numbed, it, it gave me the ability to turn a certain part of me off. Mm. The part of me that was fearful or didn't have confidence, that, that part went off. Ooh. You know what I'm saying? They turned that off. So it was like, it gave me a bypass button. And then so from there, everything that I wanted to do, everything that I felt, everything I wanted to let out, the way I, the, 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 the move I wanted to make, I was able to make it. And I made that move full force. And so now all the anger that I have and all the this and that and all the lack I felt up to that point, it was the big payback at this point. So now I'm in, now once I start to hang on the street and I'm on the street a lot, being on the streets and hanging on the street and, and living that lifestyle, you you start to you naturally become desensitized to a lot of stuff. They start to change you, you know? I was hanging around a lot of bad dudes. We were doing a lot of bad things. And I, it, I just start to change. 
you know? And it's not like being on the street and that it alleviated some anger. It made me more angry. I became more angry. And now everything that I had, I, I let it out. So now I'm the bully now. You know, now I'm the bully now. Now I'm beating up other people and I'm doing all types of grimy, grimy stuff. You know what I mean? Hmm. So if I hear you right, the, the, the adversity started to translate into the personality as you became older and as you became in your teenage years. And, and in comes the liquor, in comes the alcohol. At what point for you did the alcohol become an addiction? I think the alcohol became an addiction from the first sip. I think it started from the first sip. And when I, my first time drinking was from my father. My father is the one who gave me beer to drink. Hmm. And I never as a kid was drinking or anything because I'm like, oh, I'm trying to drink to drown my depression. I drink because I wanted to be like him. Hmm. I wanted to do what he was doing. And so when he gave me that first little bit of beer, that first little sip, from there, all the time, that's the way that it had to be for me. And so every time he's drinking, you know, if we're out and we're somewhere and he's drinking, then he would be a little more wary of it. If we was home, he's drinking a beer, I come, I'm like, yo, where's my beer? Jesus. No, no, no. And then he would tell me, no, no, son, you know, you're not old enough. And, but in my head, I'm like, nah, player, you, oh, we already, we already started this program. You've given me beer before. Now you drinking beer. I'm drinking beer too. So I want my beer as well. We're going to drink together. Wow. And a little sip, a little sip became a little bit in a cup, then a little more in a cup, then half a cup. And my dad, when he was drinking, is the opposite. Some people, when they're drinking, they're more violent. My dad was violent when he was sober. When he was drinking, it was when he was more nice and when he was more affectionate and loving. Ooh, even more reason for you to drink. And not, and not just that, but when my dad would be, when my dad was sober, he was didn't show me affection. I didn't have affection. I, I, my uncle didn't show me. I'm not gonna get it from him. I'm not getting it from my two sisters. And I don't got no mother there to coddle me. And my dad, he's definitely not gonna give. But when he was drinking, he would be affectionate with me. He had nicknames for me. He'd pull me on, sit me on his lap. He'd be drinking his whiskey. And I would get so close to him that I could always, I could smell the whiskey on his breath. And so from there, through my teenage years, through my twenties, just all my life, anytime I would crack a bottle, the first thing I do is I always took a sniff and every time I would smell the smell of whiskey, it always brought me back to being on my dad's lap. Cause that was when I was closest with him is when he was drinking. So I didn't associate drinking when I was young with a bad thing. That was a good thing in my life. That was the highlight. That was the, that was the bright spot of my youth was when he's drinking and when I'm drinking. So the addiction started there. So I'm just at a, I'm at a loss for words because, I mean, I'm learning a lot of this stuff for the first time. I never heard this. I never knew this. So when we talk about 
addiction off the jump started right away because in your mind alcohol in your own words was something that was good you know your your dad was was better off with it although it seemed and you started to feel the positive effects of it for who it made you in the streets who it with the kind of person it made you um and i can attest from growing up with you in the household that you know when it first started you definitely were happier when you drank <laughs> when you first started um alcohol was something that made you friendly <laughs> um it was something that made you a little bit more digestible you know and our other brother rob will probably attest to this where we felt like when you took some type of form of drug whether it was weed or alcohol or whatever we were more at ease in the house because you were less angry <laughs> we were more at ease in the house because we didn't have to worry about getting beat up <laughs> we didn't have to worry about being yelled at we didn't have to worry about dealing with your moody personality because it seemed like drugs or alcohol or whatever it was made you a different person or almost like there was a different personality that came and we rode that wave for a while but then then there was a shift that happened there was a shift that happened that no longer were you becoming happy while you were intoxicated but some other things started coming out explain to me when dealing with alcohol started to become the detriment i mean obviously it's always a detriment but you were coasting for a while i mean you were using this stuff and it was giving you everything that you needed when can you pinpoint and say that this is when things started to change this is when it started to go downhill I like I like the your question. <clears throat> One thing I will I will say is not that alcohol gave me confidence in the street. It was my anger that took me to the level of starting to have supreme confidence. It wasn't drinking. It was my it was the rage I had in me. It was my anger and the dark the dark aspect of my that I had of myself. That's what gave me my confidence on top of selling drugs and making money and now I'm having nice clothes. Now I'm having some cars. And what always when you're young and you hang around with bad dudes and you're a bad dude and you got a little money and a little car you're 18 19 i mean the girls come with that stuff so now i'm having this supreme confidence by putting everything together but i started getting myself into all kinds of st- all kind of things you know what i'm saying and all the while i'm becoming more depressed i'm becoming more depressed I'm feeling more lost. I'm feeling more empty. And so now the alcohol consumption increases because the alcohol was a good thing before. 
The alcohol was a good thing before. So now as my problems increase in this, again, be 17, 18, 19, you're going through mad stuff. You're going through mad stuff. All of us, we're going through all kinds, you know, going through mad stuff, man. And because I have things internally that I've never dealt with in my life, I've never acknowledged, I've never dealt with it. I'm, in, I'm ramping up the alcohol consumption to now start to feel better to start to feel better. And it's always, it's a, it's a temporary, it's a temporary feeling. It's just a numbing agent. And so once it wear off, I'm right back to it. But it's like a double fork type of thing. I'm drinking to feel better about the things that I have buried inside of me. And then I'm also drinking to feel better about the drama that I'm, I presently have going on in my life, because I'm having all types of drama. I got a lot of enemies in the street. I'm having bad relationships with women. You know, I'm getting arrested and I'm having problems, even more problems at the house with my father. And, and, and so you start drowning in the stuff. You start drowning in the stuff. And now what what was a innocent thing as a kid to just have a bonding moment now becomes some kind of a remedy. Hmm. So if I understand correctly, you, you, your consumption starts to increase. And so naturally when you increase the consumption, bad things happen. More bad things happen. So it has this compounding effect that I'm drinking to wash away my buried troubles. I'm drinking to wash away the current troubles. And that event is creating more problems for me. Serious problems for me. And then the more serious my problems got, the more I drank. The more I drank, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pit with no bottom to it, man. What would, you, what would you say, and you're going to have to dig deep for this one. What would you say, give me two scenarios. Give me the worst experience with alcohol growing up, like in your teenage years, and then let's transition into your adulthood by giving me the worst experience as an adult. You know, the sad thing about that is I don't even know if I could pick any. I've, I've had so many that was so bad. I've had so many brushes with death. I don't know if I could pick one. Well, I mean, when you, when you rub elbows with death, what can be worse than that? I mean, I, I, I don't know what scenario to pick. I've ruined relationships because of it. I've crashed cars because of it. It's hard to pick one, man. Wow. It's hard to pick one. Wow. I've had so many nights where I've, I woke up the next day surprised. Wow. I, I, wake, I wake up sometimes surprised that I woke up. Hmm. You know what I mean? Sad to say. Answer this question for me. 
and we and I want to transition into adulthood, but answer this question for me. The addictions I had in my childhood caused what? It's caused a lot. It's caused a lot. I've lost a lot. But at this point in my life, I would say that out of all the quote unquote battle, how I perceived those things have been bad. It's brought, it's, it's brought me face to face with myself. Hmm. See what I'm saying? It's, it's brought me face to face with myself. Tell me more about that. I was just telling one of my close friends last night, we were having a conversation about this. And I used to have this thing that I would say all the time. And you know, I have a 10 year old son, your nephew. And he's the greatest thing in my life. And I'm happy to be alive, to be here with him right now. And I had a thing I always used to say that, you know, if I could go back in my life, if I could change one thing, I would have never drank. You know, since my son was born, in 2010, I never drank around him. I never kept alcohol in the house. I never let him see me drink. He don't know nothing about alcohol. And I made sure I purposely did that. I didn't, I did not want to expose this thing to him. So I'm saying. But I used to always say, man, if I could go back, I would never have drank. I would never take one drink. My life would be different now if I didn't drink. But I've since corrected myself. I don't say that anymore. I don't say it anymore because I have a new perspective that. You know, some people say alcohol is a poison. Alcohol is from the devil. I have a different perspective now. For me, the alcohol is from God. God gave me that. God gave me that gift, that blessing of growing up with alcohol and becoming, you know, having alcoholism in my life. This was a gift. I would never have the gratitude in my life right now. I would never have the clarity that I have in my life if it wasn't for this thorn that was in my side all my life, man. I have peace in my heart. I have love in my heart. I have grace in my heart for myself. I wouldn't necessarily have that if I didn't have this trial. Mm. Mm. What, what does the word awakening mean to you? Awakening for me is is, is a realization. It's a realization. Give me all of it. 
give me everything right now, Black. Give me everything. You hear these type of terms in spirituality. You hear self-awakening. You hear self-realization. Realization is when you come to realize that you've been asleep. When you realize that you've been sleeping, what's that? You wake up. It's not that you come to this awakening that life is a certain way or you are a certain way or there's a certain something. You, you come to realize that I've been asleep. Not mentally asleep, but myself, my true self, my true nature. I have been asleep. I have been entangled mm. in this story. I've been entangled in this story that I have this traumatic past and a hard life and addiction and I'm an alcoholic and I've lost this and I've lost that and all this and this, this whole big story that I've been sleeping in that story. And awakening for me is when you wake up and realize that it is none of it is real. It's not real. It's an experience that I've I've had. It's something I experienced, but it's not me. Uh, I mean, I'm not. I'm not the alcoholic. I'm not the former street cat and the former this that. I'm just the I'm the I'm the witness of it all. I'm there. I've watched it all happen, but none of it is attached to me. I'm free. And my whole life is like, man, I just want to be free. I want to be free from this. I want to, I don't want to have this, but I'm already free. I was never enslaved. I've always been free. Amen. My whole life I've been free. My whole life I've been blessed. It's just an experience. It's powerful, man. <laughs> That's extraordinarily powerful. And as we talk about awakening, there's so many people that are going to draw strength from your story and what you've been talking about today. I have to ask you, though, Black, what do you have? What do you have for words to somebody that's out there right now battling their demons? battling addiction that no longer wants to live that feels like there's no more hope and they can't get out of their mind what would you say to somebody who is experiencing everything that you've gone through and feels like they're hopeless Just be, just be with it. Just be there. Just be with it. Just be with it. You're depressed. You're drug addicted. 
You've been abused. You're an alcoholic. Be with it. Accept it. Accept it. That's what is happening to you. That's what you're experiencing. Hmm. But accept it. And this is why I say this. I tried so hard. To kill my addictions. I tried very hard in my life to correct and change things about myself. I've been in every kind of program. I've seen every type of therapist. And those things are good. They're they're okay. It's fine. But something I realized is that I I never had success. I never had any success every time I tried to quit drinking. I tried to quit smoking. I tried to change. I tried to become less angry. I tried to become a more calm person. I tried to do that. I could never change it, those things. Why? Because it's the way I am. And trying to change yourself, you know what I'm saying? And try to break an addiction and stop doing this and do that. And, and you know what I mean? And be another type of way. It's, it's a form of violence as well. It is a form of violence against yourself. You are not right, therefore you need to be fixed. But the minute that I just accepted like yo this is this is the things that have happened to you. These are the things that are happening to you. And it's okay. I know it's counterintuitive. We want to rid ourselves of our ills. But like Wayne Dyer, rest in peace, one of my favorite mentors used to say, he said, to trust in the wisdom that created you. And life saw it fit for me to go through these experiences. And for everybody on this planet that's going through what they're going through, life sees it fit that you experience this. But to trust that's for your greater good, man. You don't know what you become from it. You don't know what is birthed from it. The very thing that you're trying to get rid of, you don't know where it takes you to. I don't regret anything. I won't go back now and change anything. It's the way it's supposed to be. I am how I am now. Because of it. Be with it. Accept it and you 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 meet you meet those things in your life. You you meet them with love. For me that was the only thing that worked. Hmm. When I would meet it with love. Like yo, you're struggling, bro. You've been struggling. It's all good, baby. It's all good, man. It'll dissipate one day. They won't last forever. It won't last forever. It's so, you all right. Everything is okay. And then 
the things that I tried for decades to get rid, get rid myself of, they just start to melt away on their own. I am just so moved by this time today. <laughs> I'm moved by your words. I'm moved by your spirit. I'm moved by your heart. Um, but most of all, I'm moved by God because I feel like this conversation is nothing less than divine. And there's going to be a lot of healing that comes from this talk. So thank you for your time. Um, and just thank you for being yourself, no matter what. You know, I've learned so much from you. And I continue to thank God for you every day. Um, a lot of who I am today is because of you. <laughs> um, even the people around me and the people that are here in this talk, they're going to know right away who you are. Um, because there's so much from the way that you talk, the way that you reason, the way that you philosophize, like everything, like there's so much that I've gotten and I've taken from you throughout the years. And hearing you speak is for me, um, tremendous, tremendous beyond words, man. So I'm beside myself right now, but I, I, I thank you so much for your time. I thank you so much um, for this interview. And I'm just going to close it out with a prayer. All right. Thank you, brother. Love you, man. Dear Lord, uh, <laughs> I just thank you so much because uh, in this moment, there's just a divine gratitude that takes over my soul and takes over my spirit. And I just want to exude it and scream it from a rooftop because I'm grateful. My dear brother has come to a full awareness of not only himself, but his place in life itself. Understanding that these things of the universe happen and the gift of acceptance, the gift of deliverance has come to my brother in the most uncommon way. And he has the most uncommon healing that's occurring in his heart every single day. And I know that it's a fight and I know that it's a struggle and I know it's something that he has to take daily. And he has to take it seriously. And he has to commit over and over and over and over again. And just when he felt like he committed enough, now he has to commit even more. And just when he thinks he has sacrificed enough, now he has to sacrifice even more to maintain his awareness of who he truly is. So we thank God for the spirit of perseverance. We thank God for the spirit of being committed to understanding that this spiritual GPS that we have needs to be set. And at some point after rerouting yourself over and over and over again, you have to find your direct path and you have to get to your destination. We thank God that my brother is on his way to his destination. I just pray for divine healing for this brother, for any wounds that may still exist, for anything that may still exist that is not of you. That's something that is limiting or something that is blocking his feet so he can't run around and deliver. I just pray for you. My dear brother, I pray for you that you're able to see on days where it feels dark, that you're able to feel on days where you feel numb, that you're able to still feel the power and the essence and smell the sweet aroma of Jesus. Even at times where you feel like you're in your darkest moments. May your heart continue to heal. May your life continue to thrive. And may your spirit continue to be loud in the midst of so much noise. We thank God for your life. We thank God for this walk. <laughs> and most of all, we thank God for the talk that went down today. 
Thank you so much for your love and your light. It's in the highest sense of self that we pray. Amen.